Lucky number 13 this week for the Glass of Joe podcast with my dear friend, PJ Glasser. I'm Joe Malfa. Thank you guys for tuning in once again. We are entering month four, PJ, officially. This is incredible. And uh, we got to start with the giant mess that we were left with last week. So if you listen to episode 12, that was quite the bombshell. <laughs> we had said at the very end, the vote came out that the Big Ten was postponing to the spring. Mm-hmm. And we said we didn't really want to touch the mess that was college football in last week's episode because we knew within the next 24 to 48 hours after that episode was released, the picture would become a little bit more clear. We didn't yeah. realize that it would be the end of the episode that the picture started to get a little bit more clear. Uh, but it became a little bit more clear. And while being clearer, it's still very murky and there's a lot to unpack. And I guess just the biggest thing to start out with is the basics. Big Ten, Pac-12 voted to postpone to spring. Essentially, in my mind, that's as good as a cancellation because I don't see any they're way playing spring. you're playing in the spring, especially, no, with, especially with the draft. And, you know, does it really matter if Ohio State's playing football if, you know, 12 of their draftable guys don't play because they don't want to risk getting hurt? No. It's their so JV team at that spring. point. Exactly. Yeah. They're not playing in the spring because then you're going to – it's going to hinder them for the fall. If you're going to play a spring season – then you're going to have no break and start the following fall season. So essentially, as good, of a can- as, good as a cancellation in my mind for the Big Ten and Agreed. the Pac-12. Yes. Now, the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 are still planning to proceed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where things kind of get into a whole mess of arguments about should they, shouldn't they, why are their doctors different than the other doctors in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten? And I think it just boils down to, PJ, you were there. You lived it. You were in Tuscaloosa. For the ACC, some of the ACC schools, I'm not talking like Boston College and Boston College. For the big ACC schools, for all of the SEC, and for all of the Big 12, it is more than just a game. It's a religion. And they they were always going to be more willing to take on that risk. No doubt. No doubt. And I think when you look at the Big Ten, I think a big part of this has to be something that you know very well, which happened with Jordan McNair, the offensive lineman at Maryland. The fallback from that, the liability that the Big Ten took, that Maryland took, and you got to think they're just sitting there, the Big Ten commissioner, the presidents, the chancellors of the school, and they're just saying if one of these kids, God forbid, dies from this virus – when it's something that we just could have canceled the season. Yes, a lot of people would have given us crap for it, but a lot of people would have said it was the right decision. And I just think because that happened to them in their conference, I think that's a lot that went into this decision. And like you said, I mean, a lot of this is just political and about geography. ACC, SEC, Big 12, all those big college football schools are in the South where they're a little more inclined to play as opposed to the Big Ten where those schools are up north and the Pac-12 where those schools are out west and maybe are on the little safer side. But it's it's just a mess. I mean, you saw the picture out in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, Yeah. it was your center who tweeted it out. And, I mean, it's it's just mind-boggling. Like, if you want there to be football, like, don't be But, Joe, and this is what we were talking about (laughs) with the MLB, and we can't even trust MLB players to – take the necessary precautions to look after one another. When you talk about college football, it's not only the players and the coaches, it's the entire student body that has to do their part. And I've got my, I always have my TV. I don't really record in case there's anything breaking that comes across. And they're just talking now about, 
uh, North Carolina and how they had to shift already because they had an outbreak where they had to, they were set to start this week. I have a friend uh, whose sister just started going there and she was all excited. And now everything is shifted to online. So people are still on campus, but online learning while still being on campus. So they totally shifted to remote learning. So now what happens with, um, with, with the play? So officially 177 students in isolation, 349 in quarantine on UNC's campus. They haven't been open for a week. They haven't <laughs> been open for a week. And what do you do? I, it just, I know a lot of times football players, too, and, and I saw this having worked for the team at Maryland, a lot of times you have a lot of online classes sometimes, or they're structured in a way that you're off a couple of days a week because you really load up like two days. So I get that it's no problem for these student athletes to just sit, just shift to all online courses and stay on campus. But what happens then if, if, you know, God forbid at a place like UNC or anywhere, it gets too bad to the point that they have to send kids off of campus. They have to send kids home. Are you going to keep the football players on campus just because they're football players? Like there's just yes. so many, there's just so many issues that can unravel as the big 12 ACC and SEC go through. And look, it's a risk. They're obviously calculating the take and we're going to see how it goes. I'm very curious to see as it draws near. And again, it's got to be quick because it's already August 18th. Justin Fields, at what point will he shift from starting that petition that has hundreds of thousand signatures to get the big 10 to play to just transferring to yeah. a Duke or something, you know, just like a, I don't know, just pick a random ACC school that sure. came to mind. Like, how, how, how soon before we start seeing a mass exodus of essentially any Big Ten or Pac-12 junior or senior who knew they were turning pro at the end of the season to get another year of taping? Uh, it's going to be like the wild, wild west if the NCAA comes out and says they're granting transfer waivers. And anybody who, uh, who had a futures bet like uh, who's like an alum of a school like Duke, just to continue with that, who are, every year you're like, oh, let's throw 10 bucks on my alma mater. And now all of a sudden you get Justin Fields, you never know. But right. there's just so many unknowns and, and wild things that can happen from a health standpoint, from a transfer standpoint. Um, I, I saw people this week were talking about how devastating it could be for the Big Ten and Pac-12 if the Big 12, ACC, and SEC are able to pull this off and those two conferences are left in the dust having no football this year. And, and that's something they obviously knew was a possibility when they made a decision. Um, I don't know. Like, like we said, we, we didn't want to touch this last week until we knew more about it. And now we know more about it. And it's still just a big tangled ball of yarn that is impossible to pull apart. It's a no-win situation. The Big Ten, too. I mean, look, there will be a bunch of kids now who think like, oh, they don't take football as seriously as these other schools, which might hurt them in recruiting. And then you might have a couple Big Ten Pac-12 players who might sue their conferences because if they're trying to get to the NFL draft, they don't have any fresh tape. Scouts have to watch their stuff. Yeah. So it's just, it's all a disaster. But this all comes down to money versus health at the end of, of the course. day. It's what it all comes down to because we've talked about it. These towns like Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa and Baton Rouge. The estimation was $2 billion. Billion. The, the official economic estimation was $2 billion in revenue losses for Tuscaloosa if they don't play. Joe, when LSU comes to Tuscaloosa for BAM LSU. Which, by oh, the way, this year is – they scheduled it yesterday when they released the schedule. On the Masters. Is, it is the Saturday of Masters 
And that is going to be incredible that. That's going to be the greatest week ever. But again, if, if we get to it. <laughs> if we get um, to it. But look, Bama LSU week in Tuscaloosa, Bama Auburn, hotels charge 600 a night, maybe even more, and people don't even think twice about it. Yeah. So those games are their Super Bowl. I mean, that's how these hotels make their money. That's how these little mom and pop shops make their money. It's, it's such an economic machine, college football is, especially for that part of the country. But again, you're trying to weigh that to human life. And you have one side saying that the risk is so minimal for kids to die from this. But I get that. But also, it's like you got some pretty old coaches walking the sideline. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I get that the players might be safer opposed to older coaches. But could you imagine if Nick Saban dies from something but like you, this? But even – oh, God. But, like, right. any, any old coach like that. But even just the the long-term health risks that they're starting to see are part of this with players that are having heart problems uh, – or not just players, people who are having heart problems um, – there are other long-lasting effects that it's the reason why you're seeing around different sports players who are opting out. I mean, you yeah. look at Freddie Freeman. Like, Freddie Freeman, in the very emotional press conference before the MLB season started, he was tearing up. He was saying, like, he was fearing for his life. His fever was 104.5. Like, and this is a well-oiled machine professional athlete who was saying, mm-hmm. like, he was sitting there asking God not to take him that night. I, I mean, it's just – there's – it's the Oilers guy, right? Did a lot pass? to, to Did he pass from it, or that was something separate. That was something separate. Separate, okay. Separate. But that yeah. was another separate tragic thing, and but but um, but no, I mean, yeah, it's just, Freddie was. It was. It's it's tough, man. I mean, they. It's you know I do not want to be those guys right now making their d- the decisions, but this is why they get paid the big money to do it because they're not going to make friends regardless of what they decide. Um, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what they do. And then you got all this stuff. I saw Kansas State today. They were saying that they're gonna have like twenty five percent of fans in the stadium. So now all of a sudden you got some stadiums being completely empty, some stadiums having people, maybe that's a little advantage. And then certain schools will be like, Why can't we have fans in our there's there's a lot of moving parts. I, I couldn't think of his name while I was saying it, so I let you jump in. But Eduardo Rodriguez, a pitcher for the Red Sox, he's the one who has developed a heart problem from COVID where they don't know if he's coming back now. So mm-hmm. it's not just the awful potential scenario, God forbid, of a player or a coach dying. It's, you know, how many players who are willing to risk having these long-term heart problems and lung problems. And it's just, I'm glad I'm not making the decisions. And, um, I, and again, it just goes back to both of these things can be true. We can both want to see college football this fall we can both also not be sure if that's the right decision, but we'll still watch it if it happens because that's kind of how we are, how we are right now with baseball. Like everybody felt pretty confident. At least I thought about the bubbles for the NHL and NBA and they've proven it. But baseball, when the seasons first started, everyone was like, you know, it was, it was a prevailing school of thought. Let's be happy that we have baseball. Um, let's enjoy it. But that also doesn't mean that we can't wonder if it's the right decision or not. You can wonder if it's the right decision or not and still tune in at 710 to watch Jacob DeGrom throw that first pitch for the Mets. And it's going to be the same thing with college football. We can wonder if it's the right decision or not. Only time will tell if it's the right decision or not. But we could still tune in in week one to watch, you know, Bama playing whoever they're playing in week one. And we'll still tune in on November, what is that, 13th, uh, yeah. to watch Bama LSU. So it's, it's 
going to be a wild fall. There's really no other way to put it. And I don't think this story is anywhere near its end in terms of college football and the impacts that the virus is going to have on whether or not they do or don't play. And, and we're talking power five, but there's this same split among the, uh, the other five. conferences too. Yeah. The group of five, some have canceled, some aren't. Uh, the MAC canceled. Um, North, Big, Dakota, the, uh, North Dakota the, uh, State in D2, uh, or FCS, I always get confused. I'm sorry. I, I don't <laughs> No offense to them, but I, I always, there's so many technicalities there, but North Dakota State. Um, oh, the Mountain West. Playing. That's what I was thinking. Yes. yes. And, and people are talking about Trey Lance, who's supposed to be a first round pick. Yeah. Will he transfer in? Someone talked about him transferring into LSU. Uh, so there's just so many moving parts still. It's going to be a, a crazy two and a half, three weeks before college football potentially get started. Well, we'll see what happens with that over the coming weeks. As you said, yeah, the seasons for the ACC is supposed to start September 7th, I think, Big 12 and SEC September 26th. As we move from college football now to and golf. One second, and I mean, it's a good segue, too, because golf's involved. I just looked up the full schedule now officially for that weekend. Uh, on Sunday the 15th, mm-hmm. you got Masters, and then you got a full day of football that also includes – 49ers Saints in the primetime 425 slot and Ravens Patriots Sunday night football. And then Saturday, you've got a three of the Masters and LSU Alabama. So that is going to be an incredible weekend. Which is something we talk about with Steve, Steve Sands, our guest, coming up in a little bit about that scheduling with CBS and what they'll do because the Masters now falls in November and has to compete with NFL and college football. So what And with daylight savings time. And with daylight savings time. <laughs> yes. About that as well. So Steve Sands was great talking to him. I was so thrilled we got a golf guest on, especially we got the playoffs coming up over the next three weeks. And for people who don't follow golf, they might be a little confused about how there's like playoffs in golf because the majors are the big events. So basically, long story short, every event, depending on where you finish, guys get certain points. And this week, the guys on tour that are the top 125 will all be playing in the Northern Trust in Boston. After this week, it'll go down to the top 70. And then in two weeks, it'll be in Atlanta, Eastlake for the tour championship top 30. So, Joe, it's a loaded field. We got the top 125 players who are in the FedEx Cup standings. I'm pretty much like a major field. A lot of big names, a lot of guys who took last week off to prepare for this. So with that being said, who do you like this week? So first of all, your eyes have to go down to anybody who's between 70 and 125 who might be a big name, who needs to have a great showing in order to make next week's cut. Uh, And there's actually a lot of really big names in that group. Brooks Kepka is in that group. Uh, Jordan Spieth's at 100. Brooks Kepka's at 97. Um, I know. I, oh, Ricky Fowler's at 88. Tommy Fleetwood's at 89. Ian Poulter's at 85. You have a lot of names who are in that 70 to 125 who have to play their way into next week. Yes. Um, so you, you kind of think about them as guys who maybe not be a win pick, but if you want to sprinkle a top 10 bet on them because they got to have a strong showing or something like that. Um, Tiger's probably safe. He's 49th, so he doesn't have to really. Should be overdo it yeah. this week. He'll be he'll be in the following week as well. Uh, now, as far as a pick to win, I really really like the way that Jason Day looked in the PGA Championship. And I mean, if not for Morikawa's late 
historic, incredible charge. Jason Day was right there. Um, the arrow's been pointing up on Jason Day for three or four weeks now. And, you know, he's just had top 10, top 10, great showing at the PGA. Um, and he, like he's not in a position, again, where he has to kind of overdo it this week. But that, yeah. doesn't, mean he, that doesn't mean you don't want to win, obviously, and propel yourself up the standing. He's 45th. Um, and he's playing well. Course suits him. Um, I know that again. The the usual suspects of of Deshambo, Kepka, those are going to be the guys who are main picks for this week. Um, and especially with some of those guys again having to fight for their lives to get into next week. Uh, but I really like the way Dave's playing. He's got good value. He's at twenty three to one. So give me the Aussie this week. Day, you mentioned Dave's been playing good at the PGA. His last like four starts, I think he mm-hmm. is four top 10, 15 finishes. So he's I think it's really three involved. top 10s, one top 15. He's been playing well. You talked about the big names. I'm going with one of them this week. I usually don't like to go favorites, but this is a spot where I like, like to shambo a lot. He won here two years ago. And again, I liked how he played in the PGA. He kind of got over that hump. Of, he obviously made this big transformation, shifting in this power game, wants to just bomb it off the tee. And Last, uh, his major, his best major finish before the PGA, I think, was like in the top 30 or something. He was a non-factor. Played really well. Was in contention for much of that Sunday. Um, and I think he's going he's gonna to play well at Boston. Again, it's a great field. So expect a pack leaderboard, a lot of good names. But I think DeChambeau, I don't know. You have the odds in front of you. What are his odds? He's 12 to 1 right now. He's twelve to one. Jason Day, my pick, is twenty three to one. What are who's um, ahead of him? Thomas, I assume. And let me just let me just pull it Kepka. back. I had it up. I had it up for for who you had and who I had, but uh, I did close out of it for a second. Let me just give me a second to pull that up. While I'm pulling it back up, uh, the one thing that I did forget to say is that uh, Jason Day does also have a second and third place finish at this course of the past. So I mentioned that the course suits him. He does have the high finishes here as well. So DeShambo is actually the favorite this week. Oh wow, at twelve to one. Okay, um, behind him. JT and McElroy, 14 to 1. Rom, 16 to 1. Uh, DJ and Shoffley, 20 to 1. Morikawa, 22 to 1. Day at 23 to 1. Where's Kepka? Kepka's at 33 to 1 in a group that features Daniel Berger and then Tiger Woods at 35 to 1. What I love too about this week is they pair everybody by their FedEx Cup standings. So the 1, 2, and 3 will play together, the 4, 5, and 6, and so on. So That'll be interesting to watch those guys that are like 89, 90, and 91 who know they got to play well. It'll be interesting yeah. to see if they feed off each other. Um, so, yeah, Northern Trust will be great. Next week they're in Illinois, and then the following week at the Tour Championship will be down to the top 70. we got the U.S. Open coming up in a month, so a lot of good stuff. we got we three get... weeks of playoff golf, and then we got another major, PJ. And then football's here. I mean, well, There's the NFL starts, and uh, it's, it's crazy. So we get into all that with our great guest, Steve Sands, from the Golf Channel. We talk PGA, U.S. Open, Masters, Tiger, Augusta, a little bit of everything. Capitals disappointment. (laughs) Capitals disappointment, yes, and much more. Steve Sands coming up next. Joe, I'm fired up about this week's episode, man. We are joined by Golf Channel's Steve Sands. Steve, thanks so much for being here. How's everything going? Uh, you know, it's going great. You know, a little pandemic, uh, no fans with sports. Uh, my Capitals are playing like garbage. And, uh, you know, I've been home for five months. So uh, what are you going to do? 
It's right. great. Life is great. Life is great. We're very good. We're very healthy. I'm just messing around with the sports stuff. I hope you guys are doing well too. <laughs> doing well. Doing, doing well. good. I feel you on the Caps pain. They are struggling oh, right now. Terrible. I'm a Rangers terrible. fan, so we got swept, but we got Lafreniere, so it's all right. Yeah, you got that first pick in the draft. I've heard from more Rangers fans in the last week than any other fans in hockey. <laughs> Uh, well, we're glad we could get you on. We got the FedEx Cup playoffs happening here on Thursday. Before we get into that, though, we wanted to talk to you about the PGA Championship, which happened a couple weeks ago. Just right. wanted to get your takeaways from that, Morikawa, and, I mean, that shot that he hit on the 16th to pretty much seal the deal. Yeah, that, that was a money shot. Um, I am a huge fan. Uh, I'm a big sports fan, and I, and I cover mostly golf. Uh, and when I see a golfer – get that athletic mentality of let's go for it and let's win. Let's not try to protect our position. Let's not try to see what other guys are doing. Give me the ball. It was as if Colin Morikawa was down one with nine seconds left. And he said to his coach, give me the ball. I'm going to get us a win. And I thought that shot was so great. Um, and then he made the putt, which is the bigger thing. You know, it's one thing to hit a great drive. If you don't cash in on the putt, then it's just a one-shot uh, thing as opposed to a two-shot deal in that regard with that eagle at 16. So it was, uh, it was fun. It was weird to not have fans at a major championship, more so than the other regular season events on the PGA Tour. But Harding Park showed itself well. Uh, the guys uh, really liked playing the golf course. Uh, the drama was high, and, and Colin Morikawa is, is a star in the making, no doubt. I think most fans would agree that when majors are on the West Coast, they really enjoy it because you get to see all the leaders, watch their entire rounds. It's not, you know, waking up early. You're, you're watching it in prime time. So do you find yourself liking it better when the U.S. Open and the PGA are out West, or is there really no difference to you? Oh, man, West Coast events are the best. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that I don't like about a West Coast uh, major is that I'm not your guy's age. I can't sleep till like 11 <laughs> o'clock in the morning anymore. You know, I got to, I get up like an old man and I'm up at like seven o'clock going, okay, give me some golf. Let's see some golf. But having it go to prime time uh, as a fan, I think it's fantastic. You can, you kind of spend your day uh, doing whatever you do and then you can kind of hunker down uh, and watch the PGA championship, which is what we all did a couple of weeks ago as someone who does it for a living. Um, we go back and forth. We have the U.S. Open in a couple of weeks uh, at Wingfoot uh, on NBC, and we can't wait to have it back uh, after not having the USGA uh, since 2014. Uh, that's at Wingfoot. Next year will be at Torrey Pines. We can't wait uh, for a West Coast event. Not that Wingfoot won't be great, because it will be, but having a West Coast major when you're working it, you, you know that the, the sports world is jacked up for it. You know that more people are interested because of the time difference. Uh, it allows people on Thursday and Friday uh, to go to work and then come home and watch uh, where they otherwise could not. And then on Saturday and Sunday, it allows people to kind of do their thing, hang out, spend time with their family, whatever they're doing, uh, whether you're single, married, the kids, no kids, doesn't matter. And then you can sit down, plunk down, you know, crack open a couple of cold ones and, and watch a, a great event. And West Coast majors are just the best. We love them. I'm totally with you. Kind of like West Coast baseball, being an Orioles fan. I love it when they're yeah. out playing the Angels or the A's. and just Love it. It's great. I'm totally with you. Now, as we mentioned, the playoffs start this week. The majors are definitely the big events on the calendar, but the playoffs, no doubt a huge deal. Big money prizes, loaded fields. 
Do you think that players kind of treat this three-week stretch of the playoffs maybe as they would prepare for a major? You know, it's, it's become such a huge thing in golf. And I, I remember when it first started, um, because we've always had the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, obviously, we have it on Golf Channel every single uh, weekday uh, and then early coverage on the weekends. Uh, but we have the final three, now final two events on NBC. We've had them for years. When the FedEx Cup playoffs first started, I think everybody was like, ah, you know, whatever, it's a money grab and that kind of thing. Now it's become what the original thought was, which is it is right there alongside these other huge events in golf as something that the best players in the world want to get their hands on. And it's not because of the money. These guys make a fortune. It doesn't matter. It's the competition. It's playing against the best players in the world. It's having uh, the groupings of the guys together playing the, not only just having great players in the field, but having them in the field and in the same groups playing together. It's just fantastic competition. Uh, The guys set their schedules uh, to courses they like, to dates that they prefer, to the big events. And the FedEx Cup playoffs, now that it's three events, it used to be four, now it's three. um, No doubt uh, the FedEx Cup playoffs right up there with all the biggest things you can do in the sport. It's really, really uh, come around to be a massive thing in the sport. Now, a lot has been made about how incredible this upcoming stretch is over the next 11 months seven majors, these playoffs, the players, four WGCs, absolutely loaded and, and yeah. about as jam-packed as you can have it. Uh, what about having all these tournaments played in such a short amount of time intrigues you the most? The, the thing that intrigues me the most is how are the guys going to manage it? Uh, last year when the PGA Championship was moved from August to May and it made Augusta in April, May's the PGA, June's the U.S. Open, July's the Open, August is the FedEx Cup playoffs. September is either the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup. It kind of spaced things out in a nice way. The guys had to get used to that because it it was a different schedule back then. The players was moved to March, and then that started things, and FedEx Cup playoffs ended things in August. Well, now, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, everything's been truncated and everything's together. So what I think is going to happen, Joey, is I think some of the events in the fall – aren't going to get the fields that they used to get because there's a major in the middle of September. There's the the U S open. There's the masters in November. You know, it's only natural for the best players in the world to get amped up for those events. So they're going to have to mix and match their schedule. They're going to have to rest when they need it. It's not like the three of us getting into golf carts, grabbing a couple of beers and going to play golf in shorts and hanging out and telling stories and laughing. These guys are grinding and they're working from the day they get to the site to this time that they leave. Um, So I think they're going to have to rest. They're going to have to make sure that their bodies are right. And they're going to have to make sure that their game is uh, in shape uh, for those big events. However they go about their business. I'm curious to see who plays the week before a major, like the Safeway open the week before Wingfoot is in California Wingfoot is all the way in New York. So how are people going to deal with that type of thing? That's what intrigues me the most about these big events being so close, Joe. And, and on that note, just to follow up real quick, Kefka played the week before and after the PGA, yeah. and he looks like he can't walk more than three holes without getting that right. whole stretching thing. So w- did that surprise you at all that he played before and after? No, that's the, that's the thing that's so intriguing, as you said, uh, about the schedule. 
Kepka's trying to make sure he ensures his FedEx Cup point standing to get all the way to East Lake. So this week at Northern Trust at TPC Boston, it's 125 players. Next week at the BMW Championship at Olympia Fields, it cuts down to 70 players. Then they go to East Lake, three straight weeks of golf. East Lake is only 30 guys. So the goal is to get to East Lake, however you get there. So I think that one of the reasons Tiger's playing all three weeks, Kepka's played a bunch, is because they're trying to ensure getting to Eastlake to win the FedEx Cup. And the only way to do that is to raise your standing in the FedEx Cup point standings. Mm-hmm. And Kepka has not had a Brooks Kepka type of year as far as the FedEx Cup points. So I think he's trying, or he was trying, to get as many points as possible to give him a little bit of cushion during these playoffs to alleviate some of the pressure this week at the Northern Trust. Makes sense. Now, one of the upcoming majors in that jam-packed schedule, like we mentioned, Wingfoot. Uh, have you been there? How often have you been there? And what do you expect to see out of the field? It's a beast, man. It's <laughs> such a beast. It's, it's such a great golf course. So much history there. Uh, the last time the U.S. Open was played there was the Phil Mickelson, Jeff Ogilvy, Colin Montgomery uh, craziness where Ogilvy was the last man standing. Everybody remembers M- Mickelson blowing it way left and then making a double at the last. Colin Montgomery had a chance to win his only major of his career. It would have been anyway. Uh, and He really hit a terrible iron shot. And Ogilvy was the guy who was the best of the bunch and good for Jeff. Great guy, great player. Um, Wingfoot has a long history, uh, massive rough, thick, nasty rough, greens that roll like they're on a dining room table, <laughs> undulating, fairways that are skinny, it's long, a U.S. Open being played in September, you never know what Wingfoot's going to look like in September. You would think in New York that September would be a really nice time of year to get that golf course in shape, and the weather would be a little bit better than it would be perhaps say in the middle of June, but you don't know. So uh, we'll see what the weather has in store, uh, but the golf course is fantastic. Wingfoot has a long history. Uh, we expect a great weekend. And, I'm, and honestly, the, and our whole company is so jacked to have the U.S. Open back on NBC and, and on Golf Channel for the first time. Uh, we, we, can't wait to get, we can't wait to get up there. You talk about how a U.S. Open might look in September. How do you think the Masters will look in November as opposed to what we're always seeing in April? i tell you what, PJ. When they announced last week that they were not going to have fans, patrons, as they call them down in Augusta, that bummed me out. Uh, we've gotten used to seeing no fans in sports, watching a lot of hockey, watching the NBA, watching Major League Baseball. I'm not a big NASCAR guy or UFC guy, but, you know, golf – seemingly led the way in that, you know, foray of sports with no fans. Looked a little odd and quiet on Thursday and Friday, and then on Saturday and Sunday, it it looks and sounds much different than it normally does um, when when the fans are packed. Augusta, with those roars through the trees, uh, with those people lining up chairs early in the morning so that they can go see the finish uh, late in the day, it's just going to be a different vibe, a different feel. And also one thing about Augusta being played PJ that I don't think a lot of people think about when you guys watch the masters every year, I'm sure. So when we watch the masters, it ends at seven o'clock sun's going down a little bit. It's later in the day. It's not a West coast major like we talked about, but it's, it's late, you know, on a Sunday, 
now that it's being played in November, it's the week after the clock changes. So they're going to have, they're going to, they're going to have to get off that golf course before five o'clock. So you're going to see early tee times, most likely going to be played in threesomes, not twos, which is what they prefer on the weekend uh, at Augusta. Uh, They prefer that during the week as well. Uh, But and the weather, you just don't know what it's going to be like uh, in November uh, compared to April. You know, they have a way at Augusta of making sure that everything is exactly perfect uh, in April. Are those azaleas going to be blooming? Uh, are we going to see kind of fall foliage? Uh, we're going to see an Augusta that we've never seen before. Uh, and the golf course is going to play different. Um, I, just not having the patrons there, not having the noise, uh, not having the ability to get ratcheted up by the energy. Uh, it's going to feel different, but I'll, I will say this. It's still Augusta, yeah. and there is less oxygen on that golf course than any other golf course on the planet. Those guys will be nervous and amped up and ready to go. It just is going to be a little bit more quiet than we're used to hearing. The jacket will still be green in the end. That's all. A hundred percent. Steve, it's a great point you bring up about the the time, but also if we do have a football season, it's going to be interesting Yeah. CBS does. And maybe if they go to the Masters in the morning again, like they did last year, which personally I love because you got the college football games at night. Sure. So from a scheduling aspect, it'll be interesting. To see well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you exactly what's going to take place there. What's going to happen is CBS is not going to have any 1 o'clock Eastern games right. that week. Right. Uh, they, will, they, have, they, have, they basically have petitioned the NFL or will go to the NFL um, with the scheduling uh, and Roger Goodell, who happens to be a member at Augusta National, oh, wow. uh, I, be- I believe will appease everybody um, in this, this kind of strange 2020. Uh, I don't know exactly how the logistics have worked out or will work out, but my guess is, as we're sitting here in August, my guess is no one o'clock games on CBS on Sunday. They'll start their games at 4.05 or 4.25, and the Masters will end at 4 p.m., uh, Eastern time is my guess. That's what it sounds like it's going to happen, which makes the most sense. Yeah. Especially with the, like you said, with the clock down, they yeah. got to get yeah. off the course. So that makes the most yeah. sense. Now, now sticking with the masters one more, um, what Tiger did last year, it's something that obviously none of us Incredible. are ever going to forget. You've covered a lot of golf tournaments. Has there been any of them that top that moment? The only other one that comes to mind is just the way it's kind of talked mm. about historically is, is the one after his father passed. And then this one, Right. So that, that's the only other one that comes to mind. But does anything top the, the most recent Tiger Masters? You know, it, it, one of the things that I, I, I do this with my – we have three teenage kids, uh, and they're massive sports fans, and they think LeBron's the greatest player like every kid does, <laughs> as opposed to Jordan, who my era thinks, that kind of stuff. It's hard to erase the most recent memory like it is for kids today to understand what the game was before LeBron or before X, whoever the player is. Um, you know, look, 2008 at Torrey Pines when he's playing on a broken leg and he made that putt at the end. He made a couple of eagles coming down the stretch on Saturday. That was insane. Monday finish with a Rocco Mediate playoff. Um, I, winning after his father, like you said. How about the, uh, you know, outside of the majors, um, he's had some moments like the tour championship when the fans are coming down the hill with him at 18 yeah. at East Lake and the place is going absolutely bananas. Um, you know, I, I've seen him get more riled up at Ryder Cups than people care to think he doesn't, that he, people think he doesn't care about those things. I promise you he does. And that's the loudest thing in golf is a Ryder Cup. 
And when he gets going at a Ryder Cup, I mean, the place is juiced. I mean, crazy juiced. It's great. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen anything more dramatic than that uh, Augusta last year, the Masters. Uh, the comeback story, the way he played, what happened there with Molinari at 12, Kepka at 12, Poulter at 12, Finau had a chance, Shoffley had a chance. Um, nobody thought he was ever going to win a major ever again. Um, it was about as dramatic as golf can be. I think, um, it was, it was something else. It was, it was special. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but to rank him, I don't know how you could rank anything higher based on his comeback, where it was, what it meant to him. Hadn't won a major in so long. Yeah. I I would say that that's gotta be uh, at the top of the list. Now, personal question, Tiger, for you. I know that every time you interview him, he always calls you Sansy. Do you remember yeah. how that came about? And what's it like having Tiger Woods have his own little personal nickname for you? PG, I get, I get asked that all the time. Man. <laughs> I, I, my, my, my poor wife, she gets called Mrs. Sansy whenever she goes out anywhere. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't know how it started other than the fact that you know, if, if I, I just called Joe Joey earlier, I did, you know, people just, people just call people sure. with an I, E yeah. or a Y. Right. Um, I joke with people that maybe he just doesn't know my name. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's, 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 it's become a fun thing, I guess. Um, I get asked about it all the time. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I was in an airport or a restaurant, a bar, a uh, ball game, wherever, a grocery store, and someone doesn't say that. They don't even say Steve, Steven, Sands. They just say, Sands. you know, they say Sands. <laughs> um, but, you know, that speaks more to the power of him sure. than anything else. I mean, it's got nothing to do with me. Um, look, Amanda Balionis does interviews on CBS. I do the uh, winner's interview on NBC. And whether I'm in the booth calling golf whether I'm hosting the golf, whether I'm in the tower doing holes, all anybody ever knows me for is doing interviews <laughs> at the end with the guys who win or the guys who don't win. Uh, and that's fine. I understand it's a visible spot. It's television. Uh, and he is the most, uh, probably the most interesting athlete um, of our generation. Um, one of the most popular, certainly the best. Uh, in my opinion, of anybody in sports in our era in the last 25 years. Um, but the fact that he calls me that is, that's a, that's a thing for him, not, not for me. But, you know, it's fine. You got to have fun with it. You have to embrace it. What, what are you going to do, fight it? It's, it's all good. Um, I, just think, I just think it's become this massive thing. The other thing is it's become big because of his comeback. You know, it, it's not like from 2013 when he had one to 2017 that anybody cared what anybody called anybody. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he pops up on leaderboards, starts winning again, starts becoming Tiger Woods of old, and, you know, he throws a nickname at you, and all of a sudden, everybody's watching, <laughs> and he catches on. So, you know, whatever. It's all good. It's uh, I feel bad for my wife and kids, you know, when they get called that stuff. I'm like, oh, God. I, I, I want them to be their own people and not have to get, you know, beat. Right. my sons or my, uh, that's my husband, that kind of stuff. So it's nice. It's fun. Tiger enjoys that. But I, I think he calls everybody. Uh, he would call Joe, Joey. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't even, he hasn't it's even like, met the like guy. The, so. think, think of your caps. It's, it's back. 
It's backy. I think I, I personally don't think now that you brought that up. Personally, I don't think Tiger's from Southern California. I actually think he's Canadian because everybody <laughs> from Canada calls everybody by an IE or a Y. It's a hockey thing. And True. so maybe that's a deal. I don't know what it is, but Tiger's been very good to me in my career. Um, obviously, you know, being my age and doing what I, being a sportscaster for the last 30 years, you know, the predominantly for the last 20 years doing golf. I mean, what a run it's been. And it's mainly begin being, been because of him and uh, I we have a great professional relationship um, he's been very good to me I've been very very lucky um, and uh, may it continue you know I wish him all the best you know he's a he's a good guy he's been through a lot um, on and off the golf course as everybody knows uh, but the game is better with him sports no is better with him he is the needle, um, you know, as everybody likes to say. He yeah. is. He's not. He doesn't move the needle, Joe. He is the. He is. And, and it's just fun to see athletes perform at a high level, and it's fun to see them compete. It's fun to see them get after it. Like I said about Colin Morikawa, the thing that I love the most about that shot is he had the stones to hit it. He executed it. Yeah. He made the putt. But what took place before that is, give me the ball, coach. I want to go win this thing. And I love that about athletes. I love that about sports. And nobody has displayed that more than Tiger Woods in the last 25 years in golf. Now, Steve, last question for you before we get into our two final segments we like to do with all our guests. What is a course outside of the majors, some of the best courses on tour, that consistently flies under the radar, but is one of your favorites that you love going to every year? Well, there, there's no better tournament in the world to go to than TPC Scottsdale and the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Oh, uh, the 16th, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I've been so lucky in the last, and we have it. So su- the Super Bowl is that weekend <clears throat> every mm-hmm. year. Yeah. It's the only PGA Tour event that rotates between CBS and NBC. <clears throat> Excuse me. And because of the Super Bowl. So if we have the Super Bowl, CBS has it. Sure. If CBS has a Super Bowl, we have it, that kind of thing. So, and when Fox has it, CBS has it. So we only have it one out of every three years mm-hmm. on NBC. But we have it every year on Golf Channel Thursday and Friday and early Saturday and Sunday. But for those of us on NBC, we're excited to get back there in February because we get to have it this year because CBS has the Super Bowl. So if you're going to go to one event, that's the one to go to. That's the, Good one. To know. The, the, the golf just happens to be taking place <laughs> with a party around it. And it's high level golf. It's big time golf. The golf course is spectacular. 16 is 15. Let's start before that 15 reachable par five over water. Incredible. That's the one where Ricky Fowler had to make the decision years ago uh, to lay up or go for it. Mm-hmm. 16 complete circus at 45,000 people at that hole alone. All right, there's 200,000 people on the ground every day, 45,000 people. It looks like a major league ballpark, and it's just one hole on the golf course. 17 is a reachable par four. 18 is a par four that has water left, bunkers right, really a lot of excitement and all those people around. Um, But the atmosphere is incredible. It's so much fun doing that event. I've been really lucky the last few years um, to have the assignment of being at the 16th Tower. Uh, calling golf there, um, you know, it's it's the best. By the way, the people watching is <laughs> oh. spectacular. <laughs> like, I mean spectacular. And I recommend everybody, if you're going to go to one regular season golf tournament on the PGA Tour, not a major, uh, not the players, um, but 
aside from those five, if I was going to pick one, uh, that would be the one. It, it's a lot like going to Vegas. It's great when you're there. You're drinking and eating all day, every day, and you're out there getting sunburned. You're having a great time in the weather, and your people watching, having, having a fun time, never sleeping, all that stuff. It's like going to Vegas, and then you come home, you feel like you've been hit by a bus. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great, great time, and it's a great event, and they do a wonderful job out there. Hey, well, here's hoping that by February we could also have, have fans out there. Oh, my God. Can away. you imagine that? Can you imagine, Joe, that event without fans? I know. Oh, that 16th hole, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. Don't, don't, even, don't, even say, don't even say that. We'll pivot from it then. The, the, the two fun segments that PJ liked, that tease that we always do at the end with all our guests. The first one's called the Swift 7. Seven questions, rapid fire. Don't think too yeah. much about it. First thing that comes to mind. Um, with that being said, number one, gut feeling. Who are you interviewing at the end of the U.S. Open as a winner? Oh man, uh, Justin Thomas. Um, Kepka's media trash talk, love it or hate it? Love it. All right, favorite <laughs> sports movie? Caddyshack. All right, that's a good one. Everybody talks about more majors for Tiger, but does Phil have another one in him? Actually, Miracle. Can I scratch oh, that? Yeah. Oh, great yes. one, yeah. Miracle yeah, yeah. was phenomenal. Go ahead. What was the other one? I'm sorry. Uh, everyone talks about more majors for Tiger, but does Phil have another in him? No. Love him, but he's 50. That's, that's a yeah. tough spot. Favorite city you've ever been to? Oof. Uh, in the United States or internationally? Anywhere, yeah. Anywhere? Yep. Hmm. London. Okay. Um, what's your favorite golf hole around the world on any course? 13 at Augusta. The greatest golf hole on the planet. That par five, I'm totally with you. It's the who, best. It is. Who is the funniest guy on tour that you always love to interview? There's nobody in all of golf you would rather go out and have a beer with than Kevin Kisner. Really? Yeah. Awesome. All right, and the last thing we'll do with you, Steve, uh, we got a trivia question Love for you. All right. Yeah. Oh, we put, man. So we, it's a good one for you. We Are you an all, Alabama guy, PJ? I am, yeah. That's where I went. Wow, roll I'm, tide. I'm from Maryland. Yeah, I yeah. live in Rockville, but uh, okay. yeah, roll tide. Roll tide. Um, a little dreamland barbecue, baby. <laughs> no, good stuff. JT's my guy, for sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. He was he, yeah. he noticed the smile on PJ's face when you said Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely, buddy. <laughs> absolutely. All right, Steve. So we put 90 seconds on the clock for all our guests, and you yeah. get three strikes, all right? So your you question it. is, since yeah. 2008, there have been six non-American golfers who have won the Masters. You can give us five of the six. We'll give it to you. To give you a little context, the year before that was Zach Johnson in 07. Right. So after him, if you can give us five of the six non-American guys, you got it. 2008, Trevor Immelman. Correct. 2009, Angel Cabrera. Correct. 2000, I believe, 14 was Adam Scott. Uh, 16 was Danny Willett. 17 was Sergio Garcia. You got Well, you got it, but if you can you get it, the last six guy, that'd be even great, but you got it right. Um. It was, it was 2011. 2011, Charles Schwartzel. There you go. Well done. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And that, that, by, that, by the way, is a disease <laughs> that we all have in this sport. Yeah. Child's play. That was <laughs> nice. I was, we I was we won't penalize you, though, for saying 2014 for Adam Scott. 
It was 2013, was it? right? Was it 13? It was 13. Yeah, I believe 13. Bubba was 14. Yeah. Yeah, Bubba was the Bubba was uh, the 12 and 14. He was the even number guy. Yeah. Yes, Correct. you're right. It was Charles in 11, four straight birdies to win. And yeah. then, yeah, uh, Scott did it in 13. 13. That is 14. Correct. 13 or yeah. 14. I don't know. Well, I don't know. come on, Aussie. Come on, Aussie. <laughs> what he yelled at. That was a very, very cool moment, by the that way. That was great. He, and he beat on El Cabrera, who could have won for the second time. Uh, and the incredible sportsmanship at the end there. It was very, very cool. Who are the guys that get the biggest following at Augusta outside of like Tiger and Phil? Who's like a guy you maybe wouldn't think of that always has some pretty good crowds around them? You know, the, the, it's a good question. Augusta is different than every other uh, major championship. Uh, you go back to the same place every year. Right. It has the same kind of vibe every year. And the people who go there tend to be people who go there almost every year. There are a lot of new people who come. Mm -hmm. But a, a lot of those people have had tickets for years and years and years, and they go every year. It's a tradition to them. Um, so what happens at Augusta that doesn't happen at the other majors is the, the, the crowd spreads out. You know, people ask me all the time, what's a great place to watch golf at Augusta? I would go to left of 15, sit in the grandstands all the way in the back corner, 15 to the par five down the hill. Yep. Because if, as I'm looking at you, you're looking at 15 green. If you just go like this, you're at 16 T. If you just go like this, you can watch 16 T and go to 16 green. And then just over there Six is... Green. Is, is not only six up on the hill, but 17 T as it comes back up parallel to 15. So fans tend to, patrons, excuse me, tend to follow the best players, obviously, no matter where they are. But the patrons at Augusta, they tend to spread out all over the golf course. Tiger gets the biggest draw. The biggest thing at Augusta is how they treat their champions. Whenever a change, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, I don't know, Gabe Brewer or whether it's Trevor Immelman or whether it's Tiger Woods, they get a following no matter where they are because the patrons spread out all over the golf course. They don't just follow one group, which I think is one of the things that makes Augusta uh, different uh, than the other major championships. It's, it's a tough one to answer because they don't, they don't just follow certain guys there. They follow right. – the entire golf course. It's the only place in sports where the golf course matters more than the event. I promise you. you, you could go there on a Tuesday. If I got you tickets on a Tuesday, you went to Augusta, you'd walk all 18 holes. You'd have one of those, those horrible pimento cheese sandwiches. You'd go into the merchandise tent. You'd spend a thousand dollars because you think you're never going to go there ever again. And you're going to leave. And then that night we're having dinner. And I go, Hey, how was Augusta? What'd you think of the masters? I don't know. I didn't see one golf shot, but I had the greatest time of my life. And that's how the Masters is treated every year. People just go and walk around the entire golf course, not just follow one guy. It's hard to follow one guy. You know, I had the privilege of going last year. Me and my buddy went for a Monday practice round, and we did everything that you just said, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, I tell people that all the time. Look, the Kentucky Derby is on a bucket list for everybody in, a, in the sports world. Sure. You're going to walk around Churchill Downs a little bit, kind of check out this, you know, the, the, the steeples, the whole thing. Um, but you're going to watch the race, uh, the Indy 500. If, if racing's your thing, uh, Wrigley Field. If you're if you're a baseball guy, Fenway, whatever, you know, Camden Yards, whatever. Camden um, if you if you go to if you go to Tuscaloosa, you're going to walk around Bryant Denny. Yeah. You're going to eat some Dreamland barbecue, but you are going to turn and watch the game. Yeah. I promise you, if you go to the Masters, it's the golf course people want to see. 
They want to walk around and see the practice area. They want to go walk all 18 holes. And then they see two golf shots and they're the most satisfied fan in the world. And they don't really care. Any other golf tournament, you're there to watch the golf. Sure. Um, St. Andrews, is it that way a little bit too? A little or? bit, but St. Andrews, the thing about St. Andrews is you're not going to walk the whole course because you don't remember the holes at, at St. Andrews. You, I mean, you guys are a lot younger than I am. Yeah. You can remember every hole at Augusta, yeah. every hole. That's true. You've been watching your whole life. At, yeah. at St. Andrews, you remember 17, the road hole. You remember yeah. 18 because of the clubhouse and because of the Swilkin Bridge. You remember one tee because you, you're driving straight across. Yeah. But I, I defy anybody to tell me they can remember two through 16. Now, if I could play golf anywhere on the planet one time, I would play at St. Andrews. Okay. But that's because the town – the Dunvegan grabbing a beer at the Dunvegan, the famous bar there, the pub there. Um, the town is, is so alive for it. Uh, but the golf course itself, the 18 holes at Augusta are etched in everybody's yeah. brain. You see it Whereas the old course is not like that. We're going to the old course in 2022 um, for the open championship and we'll have it again in 25. So that's twice in a four open championship span. But it's not like Augusta every single year. You guys can tell me every shot on every hole at Augusta. You can't do that from 2 through 16 at St. Andrews. 1, 17, and 18, I'll give it to you, but not 1 through 18. That's a great point. That's a great point. Well, Steve, we appreciate it. You know, our interview was supposed to wrap up like five, seven minutes ago, but I was just fanboying <laughs> out over here and I had to pick your brain about Augusta and all these little oh, things. Keep me all day if you want. If you're friends with Golden, if you're friends with Golden, you're good by me. Danny's a good man. Well, Steve, we appreciate it, man. Uh, glad that golf is back. We had a major last week. We got the FedEx Cup coming. And here's up hoping you get fans in Arizona. Here's I'm hoping that from for you Gosh. more than anything, honestly. No, 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 for you guys because I'm going to get you guys tickets. You're going to come out there. We're going to have a great time. <laughs> That'd be that would be awesome. That'd be incredible. To it. Well, Steve, we appreciate it, man. Stay safe, be well, and uh, look forward to hopefully doing this again somewhere down the road. It's awesome talking to you. Appreciate All it. right, fellas, be good. Thanks for having me. Roll Tide. <laughs> Take care. Once again, that was Steve Sands from the Golf Channel, our amazing guest. So great to talk to him. We got to hold him through that. We do, those tickets. He <laughs> dropped that in there a little bit at the end, and I'm like, well, okay, then, I gladly. But, you know, Arizona's a hot spot right now, so we need those cases yes. to go oh, down. Yes. We need we're, fans. We've got time. To... It's February. It's February. So we... just, just uh, something to be hopeful for on the horizon. On TV, though, that, I mean, that does look like a ton of – he's right, 45,000 people hang out at that one – It is like Yankee Stadium. It's crazy crazy so we'll, we'll try to hold him to that hopefully yeah. that can happen that would be a lot of fun but you heard him talk about the importance of the playoffs and how golf for years was kind of looking for a stretch to reward guys who were consistent over and it's just season. also a way to make everything more important because look to the to the fans who were casual golf fans you're probably only tuning in for the majors if you're a casual golf fan Hardcore golf fans are watching everything, obviously. Yeah. But this was a way of, besides being a money grab, which in part it is, obviously, uh, but it was also a great way to take that guy who's on the fence of being a casual golf fan and dragging him in because now, you know, he doesn't have to question why he's watching uh, the 3M or uh, the Rocket Mortgage in Detroit on a random Thursday, you know. 
it means something. It all means something that it yeah. goes down to this. So it, it, it was a great idea to, okay, obviously the money grab, we can't disregard that. Like, like Steve 11 said, million know. goes to of the course. winner. So that helps. <laughs> but also it's a way to, it's a way to improve getting more casual fans to hardcore fans. Your hardcore fans get that much more into it. It's great all around. It's, it's really great all around. And I, I'm, I was very happy to hear what he had said about, you know, despite how it was kind of received at the beginning, the players, uh, championship is obviously kind of like the fifth major um you know you got your four the players is right there it's the next one yeah and now the golfers have all embraced this as kind of being like almost in that category of the players where it's 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 something that they all care about now well the perfect example of that was when you asked them why kepko was playing in event before major yeah. and right after and steve told you because he wants to get points where he feels comfortable this week they he obviously didn't get that but it's all about getting Eastlake and that right there. If one of the best players in the game is not taking any off days because he knows he needs the points, that right there tells you the importance. And he, of all people, needs the off day, if you've been watching, that he has to get stretched out after like every third hole. So he, right. more than anybody, needs the off day and not taking it. So it shows you, again, just how much they do care now. And uh, Sanzi will, will have some fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was great. I love how he said people come up to me and then my poor wife, Mrs. Sanzi. So it's so true though. You know, every, everybody who meets me, it seems like calls me Peach. It's just yeah. the way it is. I don't know where it's because it's one syllable, I guess, instead of two, because God forbid my name's two letters. It's really long, <laughs> but they go with Peach. But I noticed that too, how he called you Joey one time. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. But sometimes that's what happens. You know, he probably just called him Sanzi. It's stuck in, now he lives with it wherever he goes. So that's a lot of fun. So you got the playoffs in golf coming up, Joe, but we got playoffs in two major sports going wait, wait, on. Wait, before right that, now. the one, one more thing that I wanted to touch on yeah. with, about, about Sanzi was uh, I feel bad calling him that. I missed that. <laughs> one thing about Steve was that, uh, that neither of us thought about is for the Masters, uh, with the daylight savings time, yeah. they got to get that in early. It's going to be a totally new look at the Masters. But uh, obviously, courses are going to play differently in November. Um, a lot of different things going on, but that was one thing that did not even cross my Such mind. Such a great point. changing the week before. You're going to need to get off of that course. I mean, you see it every year in a normal Masters where – They're playing into like sundown. I mean – They're playing – exactly. And now it's – you've got to be off the course by 5, 4.30, 5 o'clock. Right. So and especially, especially because you know CBS is going to want to air college football sure. and – NFL they'll probably move the college game to Saturday night but the NFL they got to put in that 425 time slot so you got to figure the leaders are probably teeing off about 10 10 30 yeah. so that yeah. that'll be that'll be a lot of fun it'll be interesting to see how that course plays in November might get a little snow who knows I don't know if it snows <laughs> in Augusta in November I don't think but it does. <laughs> I, I don't know if it does I don't but think so <laughs> we'll see what happens um NBA playoff preview and NHL playoff preview joe we got two sports that are in playoff season right now the nba just started yesterday as we get in as we record this on tuesday and the nhl i mean some of these series are getting into the later games we'll start with the nhl and every game is going at least five potentially except those damn capitals who are sucking it up Losing yeah. 3-0 to the Islanders right now. So, so far, this is kind of played to form. Also, uh, for any of us, for any listeners who also follow us on Twitter, I was so annoyed at myself for, I, in, my, in, my, in the episode last week, I picked the Flames, but I accidentally, I didn't realize in my bracket challenge, 
on the NHL.com where you can win a million bucks, which I'm not going to because the Capitals are going to get swept. Yeah. Um, I had I accidentally put the Stars through. Uh, so it could be a happy accident because they're 2-2 two, two right now, and the Stars have the momentum after their last win, scoring with just a, a few ticks left and then winning in overtime. Um, but the Capitals have – the Capitals are the only series that has really been, like, just a total didn't-see-that-coming head-scratcher. Uh, yeah. Vegas, Vegas on the way to a gentleman's sweep. Avalanche, same thing. Lightning, same thing. Uh, the Bruins-Canes maybe a little surprised at 3-1. to one. Canes were a hot pick. I know we both picked them. Uh, Flyers the have just Canadians. turned it on in, in the third period. I mean, the Canes went 2 nothing yesterday. It's really – they're just closing better. That's it. Um, Flyers, Canadians, the, the Canadians have been a little bit closer, playing with some emotion with uh, their head coach going to the hospital with the heart problem. He's gone for the series. Uh, and then Canucks Blues, great series at 2-2. So everything has kind of gone to form except the Capitals. I know we had talked about it last week where – we both could have seen them losing. We both picked them in six or seven, but we both could have seen them losing because Barry Trotz is the best coach in the National Hockey League, and you never know. But they have just totally come out and looked uninspired, lazy. They're slow. Uh, They're very sluggish. sluggish. They look like a team who just – they don't look like a team at all who played in October and November. They don't. And Todd Reardon, uh, he – it hasn't really been talked about a ton. He but he's got to be. He's got to be on some sort of hot seat, if not already one foot out the door. Yeah. Because, look, with no disrespect to him, when he was hired, it was just kind of, all right, well, we're not going to renew Barry, which is still one of the dumbest decisions, I think, that any organization has made recently, that they let their Stanley Cup winning best coach in the NHL just walk and not give him a new contract after his contract was up. Uh, but – they were like, oh, you know what? Todd's been his assistant. Let's see if Barry wore off on him. And he has. They are not playing the same way. There's no. that, um, that fire and emotion that Barry Trotz has. Todd Reardon is the exact opposite. He's very calm. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any sense of urgency. No, I feel I bad like we're piling on him right now, but like I'm just, we're just calling it as we see it right now. Where well, the, the, biggest, is... the biggest tell to me was the fact that the Caps were down 2-0. They know they needed to have game three. They got off to good starts in game one and game two. And then of all the games where they decide to come out sluggish, it's a game where you have to have. And they haven't scored a goal in the third period yet all series. They're just slow. They haven't scored a goal. Unless I'm wrong, maybe – oh, no, I'm sorry. Maybe they did – I don't know if they scored a third period goal in the round robin either. Either way, they didn't score more than two goals in the round robin in any game. So they haven't gotten past the two-goal mark. You know, so it, it's, nobody it's, outside it's of about o- as bad as you can play. Nobody outside of Ovechkin and Oshie and occasionally Kuzi is really playing well for him. And I mentioned to you before we recorded the pod that something nobody's talking about. Todd Reardon is zero and six in games away from Capital One Arena as a playoff coach. And hockey is the one sport where. It seems like there's really no home away ice advantage. I mean, there is an advantage, but not compared to like baseball or basketball or football where you see teams that year after year are dominant. I mean, teams go on the road all the time and win at another team's rink. So the fact that he hasn't been able to get one win away from Capital Run, even all those years when the Caps were struggling in the playoffs, they were always a decent road team. They just couldn't win big games at home because they were always the higher seed. 
it's been the complete opposite with the him. The year they won the cup. The year they won the cup, they went down 0-2 against the Blue Jackets with the first two at home and went on the road and won two. Correct. So they won nine road games that year. They clinched, I think. they clinched the Penguin series on the road. They clinched the Lightning Tampa, series on the road. Vegas. They clinched the cup on the road. And – there you that, go. you know, that, that right there, it tells you all you need to know. It's, it's coaching, Joe. It really is because you don't get last change, obviously, when you're on the road. And Trotz is just – the Islanders look better. They look faster. They're better coached. The Caps are so undisciplined, too. I think they've had, like, 18 penalties in three – it's – I was just going to say that a big part of the reason that they haven't been scoring goals is they can't get into a five-on-five rhythm because right. every time they yeah. try to do anything – they look over their shoulder, and, and the referee's got his arm up, and they're going back to the box. So Right. Look, I, I mean, I'm, I don't like talking about firing coaches and whatever because it's such a hard job. But job that I know I couldn't do, so right. I don't want to talk about them you know, doing it. But. He was given the keys to a Ferrari, and he knows it. When you're given a job like that and you have to win right away, there's really no time to ease into this thing. And he just simply has not produced. The Caps have mastered the regular season. They know how to navigate that and get to the playoffs. And to come up, losing the first round of the Hurricanes in Game 7, which could have gone either way, but now to get swept by the Islanders. If, if they lose today, I, it's going to be tough for him to come back next season. And besides that, I mean, even look at the last two regular seasons that he's been in charge. They've had their really hot streaks. But then they've also just disappeared for – about a month, month and a half stretch at a time. And just the, the slumps that they go through. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, there's just a lot of things going, working against him. And, you know, if, if we're fortunate enough to, to have Joe Beninati back on the podcast, once the NHL season as a whole is over, not just when the capital season is over, but once the NHL season as a whole is over and we're in the off season, uh, very curious to hear his thoughts. I guess by then we'd know whether or not Reardon is or isn't coming back. Right. If Reardon does keep his job, I'd be curious to know uh, what Joe B would have to say about, uh, how hot the seat is going into next year. Is it something where if they get off to a slow start, he's getting fired by the second month of the season. So very, very quick turnaround from Stanley Cup to now two years later looking to get another coach because they didn't just sign Barry Trotz. I, I will still never understand that, why they didn't talk contract with him. And I don't know. I feel like they, I don't, I think I don't they, get it. I think they got their cup and they were like, eh. Kind of going back to uh, what we had talked about with, with Bob Lobel, not saying that this is what happened with Ted Leonsis, and uh, he's done a good job with the Capitals. I can't say yeah. he's done a good job with the Wizards, but um, <laughs> you wonder if, if that's part of it. Like, like Bob was saying, it's cyclical. You cut, owners are in, you want to win, and you get a championship once and enough, yeah. and then you're content. Did they get into that stage of being content, and that's why they let Barry Trotz walk, and now they're seeing that, oh, crap, we might have just wasted two more years of Alex Ovechkin, and we have to try to find a way to get him another one if we can. Uh, they're, look, they're in a great situation. Whoever, if, if Reardon could turn it around or whoever they bring in, whether it's a veteran like Peter Laviolette or who, whatever the case is, oh, yeah. they're, they're in a great win situation. Now, sure. Still in win-win-now mode. They're going to get Holtby coming off the books. Um, so they will have options, and they have a lot of talent still. Just, I mean, they've got a Norris winner or should be future Norris winner and, and Carlson, Carlson at the back. You've yeah. got obviously all the guys uh, up front, Oshie, Wilson, Ovi, Backy, Kuzi, Barana. Like, you've got all the talent. Um, Samsonov in goal is going to be one of the bright young stars of the league. So you have the pieces. It's just 
defenseman two through six really needs an upgrade after yeah. Carlson. And, and again, just the coaching and the inspiration, you have to see how that goes. So caps, the only yeah. one that didn't really go to form everything else right now, again, more to evaluate next week. Once the series are, are wrapped up and we can start looking ahead to round two, everything else right now, holding exactly true to form and the two really hot contested series so far. Stars, Flames, Canucks, Blues, and then Flyers, Canadians could become that if the Canadians tie it up at two to one tonight. Otherwise, we will have five series that are three to one on the brink. Right, and we get into the NBA where we probably will see some more of that four or five game yeah, series yeah, in a couple. The NBA, the NBA Bucks Magic, never really anything, you know. <laughs> you look at the NBA Bucks Magic at best, the Magic win one game. Raptors Nets at I best. Don't think- I, I don't think the, the Magic win anything. The, the Bucks were a minus-150 favorite to sweep. To sweep. So I, I, don't, I think don't think they're going to win either. I'm just saying at best yeah. they win one game, but I can't see it. The, the, the series that will really be good, I think, in the first round is Pacers Heat. That, Pacers Heat will be fun. Uh, that should be good. After what we saw in game one of the Celtics Sixers, that could be good. Uh, Gordon Hayward got hurt, so that makes it even closer. Yes, uh, Clippers, Mavericks. I mean, Porzingis getting thrown out was ridiculous, and uh, the Mavericks might have had a chance to win that if not for that At crazy first half. It went from 18 to two lead for the Clippers out of the gates so to a 20 to point lead. Yeah. yeah, for for the Mavericks, I think it was at one point. And um, Nuggets, Jazz, overtime game, 57 for Donovan Mitchell. Jamal Murray went off too. Were you watching uh, that game? I was. I the was at work. I had that off on the between those two was that, that was on, special. Had on off to the side, just kind of peeking over every now and then. Um, look, it, it, every year the NBA's first round is never really that good. No. Um, I think we can have series push to six. I could see the Mavs, Jazz, Sixers pushing it to six. Um, never really a threat to win the series for any of those. The Nuggets, Clippers, and Celtics will come through. But you've got two pretty much book it guaranteed sweeps in Bucks Magic and Raptors Nets. Rockets Thunder is a toss up. Pacers Heat is a toss up. Yes. Uh, Lakers Blazers. I think it's more likely that the Lakers sweep than it is that the Blazers pull off the upset, despite totally all the momentum and, and. And that's why I like the Lakers. Lillard. Exactly. Too much momentum with the Blazers. The Blazers can't defend anything. Uh, I mean, they don't really have an answer for Lillard. The Lakers but the Blazers don't have an answer for LeBron. Or they Davis. Can just throw, <laughs> Davis they can just throw physicality at, um, whether it's white, white side or Nurkic. Like, they'll just throw a body at him, but they have nobody who can compete with LeBron. So, I, honestly, I don't think it'll be four. I think, the, I think it'll be Lakers at five. But really, like we said, the first round of the NBA, it's really – the fun starts in round two, and, and nothing epitomizes that more, really. Uh, unless it was just, you know, they couldn't churn out the uniforms in time. Nothing epitomizes that more than the Lakers are waiting until round two to start wearing those jerseys to honor Kobe. They're not even bothering with those jerseys in round one. Yeah. So that just shows you what the NBA's the favorite take of round one. So. Yeah. So isn't there a party that wishes that the Suns got that playing game instead of Memphis? So you I mean, Blazers, 100%, 100%. And it just kind of goes to show how – uh, maybe in the end, wrong. The NBA was to go with 22 teams. The Wizards never stood a chance, oh. and the Suns went the best you can do, eight and zero, and still didn't make it. So you probably could have cut off the Wizards in hindsight. You probably could have cut off the Suns in hindsight. 
Um, the Kings. The Kings, they ended up falling back in the pack. But, like, the Spurs were in it. The Spurs mathematically could have made it on right. the last day. Uh, but, but the Sun, I mean, it's, again, the Suns were there. They had a scenario in which they could have made it. But, like, they had, they had to go 8-0 and to even have a chance. And they went 8-0 and and still didn't get in. So yeah. it, it gives credence to the people who were like, yeah, the NBA probably could have gone with 18 or 20 and not had to bring 22. But at the end of the day, the talk about complaining about 22 teams was only because they felt they could have uh, lowered the risk and had four fewer teams in the bubble. But the whole time they've been in the bubble, no positive test. So in the end, the risk paid off and we got some fun basketball. Right. And before we get into where would you go, Joe, and trivia, we got to talk about something that was just blowing up when I woke up this morning. Oh, God. And that is Fernando Tatis and whether or not it was Junior. right for him to hit that home run up 3-0 in a 3-0 it's count. Not just, yeah, it's not just hitting the home run. It's swinging 3-0 when you're up seven. So here's my thing, okay? You're up seven. Like, it's not and, like you're and, up 20. And – their bullpen is not good, and they've had bullpen issues. So you're up so seven. any run you can get is a good right, run to have. Right. You're up seven, which is not the craziest deficit in the world. It's 3-0, okay? So say you want the guy to take the pitch. He takes a strike. It's 3-1. 3-1, he swings. He fouls you're it off. A, you're still getting a pitch to hit at 3-1. 3-1 is still a very 3-1. good one. But he could foul it off. He could foul it off, and then 3-2, he grounds out, he pops up, he strikes out, and then, oh, what, it's fine because he, was, he struck out because he's not yeah. allowed to swing away 3-0? It's crazy. It's crazy. And I mean, let like, me tell you, the pitch wasn't even, like, right over the middle, like a get-me-over fastball. It was low and away that he took to right center field. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, if you're going to get mad at the dude for hitting – I'm almost more disappointed in the Padres and, his man, and the manager of the Padres for getting on Tatis for doing yeah. that. You know, I can kind of see the Rangers side because they're probably already pissed that they're getting blown out and they're like, 3-0, like you really needed to do that. But then when they had time to reflect, they'd be like, you know what, I, I get it, I guess. And then later in the game, the Rangers threw at Machado to like try to retaliate. So it's just, it's just stupid. I mean, stupid. This is, these are some of the reasons why baseball is having trouble reaching the younger generation. It's that when you have a bright, young, fun star. I mean, Tatis is pimping every homer he hits. There's a bat flip. There's a strut. They should be embracing this. This should be, you know, like Soto. Um, he, they should be embracing everything about right. that. Uh, you, you know what? Don't go down seven runs. Don't go down 3-0 in the count. And he won't do that to you. It's, you shouldn't, it's the, it is the only sport. It is the only sport where guys are looked down upon for succeeding sometimes because of the unwritten rules. It is the only sport where guys are looked down upon for succeeding because of the unwritten rules. It is stupid, and I hope that the next time he's got a 3-0 count, bases loaded, and they're up 12, hit another dinger and flip right. that thing into the second row. Well, I mean, it's a reason why we love baseball is because there's no shot clock, there's no timer, you have to pitch the ball. You can't take a knee. You can't dribble out the clock. You have to keep pitching. So if you're going to keep pitching, then the dude should be allowed to hit whatever the ca- – I think it's the dumbest thing ever. I wish we had Tim Kirchin on today because I would love to hear if we, ha- if we get the chance to have him on again. I would love to know his thoughts behind And, and you, you've had so many bullpen collapses in the early stages of this MLB shortened season where 
again, you understand why teams want to just pile on as many runs as they can. And again, you shouldn't be penalized for it. This the other day, it was, again, it was only, it wasn't seven run lead, but it was six, two giants in the ninth inning. And the, I'm sorry, six, yeah, six, two. And then the A's came back and, and put up a four or five spot in one. So like you're getting, you're getting this, all the Mets blow things left and right. The Phillies blow things left and right. The Padres have had blown games. If you can add runs, add runs. Don't worry about hurting someone else's feelings because you hit a grand slam at 3-0 when he might have hit it 3-1 in a hitter's count anyway. It's acceptable 3-1, but not 3 Like, come on. It's just – this could be a break. It's I'm so with fun. you. I, I hope that the Padres look at it today and we're like, Fernando, just keep doing you, man. Like, yeah. you know – Yesterday, in the moment, we were hard on you, but just keep playing with that same flair because that's what makes them great. You brought up Juan Soto with the same thing. There are dudes like Trout, like Mookie Betts, that are more reserved, but there are other guys like Soto, like Tatis, like um, trying to think maybe of a pitcher who's um, – Jake Peavy was that way, man. He would get Jake animated to tell. So there are just some guys that have an outgoing personality, and you just got to let them be what they are because that's what makes them great. So mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. Where would you go, Joe? And then some trivia. So, Joe, once again, we got sports going on. Makes where would you go, Joe, a little easier. We got Blazers-Lakers game two, which will be on Thursday, August 20th. We got Rays at Yankees, which was the best baseball game of the day. We got game six possibility so just assume that the hurricanes win game five and then it'll be bruins hurricanes game six on thursday or would you want to head down to bucks training camp to see tom brady in a creamsicle penny with rob gronkowski and bruce arians and the bucks running around and all that (laughs) pj it's i looked at this and immediately i thought bucks training camp i'm telling you really it's not not a game (laughs) but all right, Blazers-Lakers, we said, is a four- or five-game series. Sure. Don't care. Rays-Yankees, it is middle of the year, two teams that are at the top of the AL East. Doesn't matter in the long run, especially in an MLB season where you're going to be the one They're seed both gonna make the to playoff. three-game yeah. series. Forget it. Um, game six might not even happen, so I'm not <laughs> committing to it. True. Bucks nfl training camp. Just I've seen it on TV a couple times. Brady and the creamsicle penny and, and the Buccaneers helmet. And I still think it's Photoshopped every time I look at it. So weird. I want to see that for myself. It's weird. It's got to be Bucks training camp. And it's he, the closest one to me proximity-wise, so I could just take a three-and-a-half-hour drive up there. Do you think he's the, like, weirdest athlete that you've seen in a different jersey? Like, I remember when Peyton Manning held up that Broncos jersey, and that was weird. Or I'm trying to think if there were some any other – bizarre ones off the top of my head brett Favre with the vikings was tough to look at he wasn't as tough to look at with the jets because i'm a jets fan and like there's no bad blood seeing him go purple after being a packer that was tough to look at just because more because of the rivalry aspect right um but like lebron on miami maybe like maybe that that was that was all that in today's nba that stuff was all kind of KD going to Golden see. State might have been yeah, But again, again, the NBA, the NBA for me, it's tough because you see guys changing all the time in the NBA now where you're kind of used to it. So unless yeah. they go to a heated rival, like somebody goes from Lakers to Celtics or something or from Knicks to Nets, like unless you get that, it's really not that crazy in the NBA anymore. Um, yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be because like 
as, as synonymous as Peyton Manning was to Indy, you know, Lucas Oil Stadium, the house that Peyton built. Um, you knew that was coming because just where they, you know, he had, the surgery with the, yeah. he had the surgery with the neck. They were getting Andrew Luck. You knew it was coming. Sure. You were prepared for it. There were murmurs, obviously, about Brady changing teams. You didn't really know that it was going to happen, and then it finally did. And, you know, all the Super Bowls he's won there, all the success – it's just weird. It's just really weird seeing him. It is. You know, historically, you had Montana switch to the, uh, to, to the Chiefs. You, you've had guys who have done it. And, you know, it, you can find little things that pointed to it. And, and it wasn't this big thing. But he is the GOAT of that league. He has won six rings with the Patriots and Belichick. And it's just you can't wrap your mind around seeing him in cream. It's like, it's so weird. Every time I see it, I it think I'm weird. looking at a Photoshop video on Twitter. It's so weird. So I got to go to that. I got to see it with my own two eyes. That's fair. All right. I got, that's why I threw it in there. Cause I didn't know if you'd bite, but sure enough, you did. I so bet. Bucks, <laughs> Bucks training camp is the winner. Joe, it is four to two and four a half. Four to two and a half. As we reach week 13. I believe I gave you my question first last time. So would you like to give me your question first? Sure. So during the week, we talked about Hard Knocks. And we'll talk about that more in episode 14, as we have seen two episodes then under our belt. Premiered this past week. Mm-hmm. Great episode. Yeah, really interesting really to see the inner workings. It's on tonight, right? Tuesdays? On tonight. It's on yeah, Tuesdays. Awesome. Really interesting to see the inner workings of an NFL franchise right now. So after you uh, texted me that night that you had watched and, and – we talked about it. I thought, you know what, let's go with a hard knocks centric trivia that also ties yeah. to the NFL. You're sure. a fan of the show. So this one's going to test your memory of the show, which teams were on it. It's going to test your memory of which teams sucked after being on the show and who the coaches were. So here's the question. Since the show came back from its one year hiatus during the 2011 lockout, the show has been a bit of a curse for head coaches. Four coaches have gotten fired very soon after appearing on the show. Three of them got fired at the end of the season they were on the show. One of them fired the following year, midway through the year. Can you give me the four coaches who were fired very, very soon after being on the show? Again, three of them were immediately that season. One of them was the following year. Four coaches fired very soon after the show. It's a curse. John Gruden's okay right now. We'll see what Anthony Lynn and Sean McVay have in store. Uh, but your clock starts now. It's a great question. There are two that I know are definite, but then I'm trying to think of the other two. So you got Hugh Jackson and Rex Ryan. I know are the two. No, Rex Ryan's a mistake. Strike one. Really? Yes. Rex is a mistake. All right. Besides what? the fact that besides the fact that he doesn't fit the question, um, oh, I mean, he was the Bills sorry, coach besides, when they were on. Mm-mm. No, the Bills weren't on it. He was the Jets coach when they were on it. And, and he didn't get uh, fired until a couple years later. Not Rex Ryan. 35 seconds gone. Wow. That- yeah, Hugh Jackson, though. That was an obvious one. Yeah. You know, before, before Rex Ryan, I really didn't watch it too much. So I just have to go through and think no, of we're talking what. A- Remember, we're talking after Rex Ryan, since 2011. Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to start naming coaches. Like Jim Schwartz in Detroit. 
No, they were never on it. I thought, you, you know what? You, you, no. you put yourself in a bad spot. You made it seem like you were a fan of the show. And you said you were, so I went with this. I, oh, uh, yeah. You got 15 seconds left. Wow. This I've is really only watched, I've yeah, I've, I've only watched like the first three seasons, like the last three seasons closely. So you got me. I, I don't All right. Know. Wow. All right. All right. I didn't think that was going to go the way it did. Uh, first of all, like I said, it's, it's since the hiatus of the 2011 season. Uh, Rex Ryan was the 2010 season, so he didn't even fit the question, mm. if you listen carefully. And he also didn't get fired right away. The okay. three coaches who did it, who got fired at the end of that season then, uh, 2014, the Falcons were on it. Mike Smith got fired. Then in 2016, uh, the very famous scene when the Rams were on it, and Jeff Fisher said, I'm not bleeping going 8-8 eight and eight again, and they proceeded to go 8-8 eight and eight and again, and he got oh, fired. True. And then... Uh, oh, the Raiders, Hugh. right? Wasn't the last one? The Raiders? Like, no, no, I got remember Hugh, Tony Hugh. Soprano taking over. Or no, no, you got Hugh, you got Hugh Jackson. The last one was uh, Dirk Cutter. He was the one who, for the Bucks in 2017, he got followed the, followed, fired the f- following year. So those yeah. were the – Got me. Wow. You know, after this week where we talked about hard knocks, I was like, oh, PJ's a fan of the show. This will test his memory of the last five seasons. And – Hugh, wow. yeah, the Browns, the Brown season with Hugh Jackson is the one where I really started to watch. Okay. And then I watched the Raiders with Gruden, and then I've watched the first episode of LA. But, All right. Well, I mean, it was just a good football coaches yeah. that got fired question. But, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, the way you painted it, I thought you were a fan of the show. So maybe I'll, I'll come back with a better question for you next week to kind of make up for it. But uh, even if you weren't, you could have probably, I, I thought you I might know. be able to figure out, you know. Who, who was bad and got fired? He said, "All right, well, you know what? I got a chance. I got a chance to get you back." Do. You do. You got a chance game. to gain some ground. We had Steve Sands on, so I got to give you a golf question. All right. Your question, Joe Malfa, is naming seven of the ten golfers who are top ten in the official world rankings. Right now. Right now. All right. Go ahead. Uh, Justin Thomas is number two. Brooks Kepka. Is number seven. Uh, Colin Morikawa. Is number five. Uh, Dustin Johnson. Is number four. So okay. you need three more. All right. Um, did I say DeChambeau? You did not. Five, two more. Okay. Um, I said JT. Um, You're 30 seconds. You uh, got plenty Jason of time. Jason Day's had a really good stretch. Jason Day? Not Day. One strike. Right. It's tough because, you know, so, some guys, you know, like they just they aren't necessarily uh, uh, ranked highly if they've been playing well. Um, oof, the last two are going to be tough. Well, you got five guys to choose I from. got five. Yeah. Yeah. I got five to choose from. You're missing the world number one, the world number three. Ah, really? Who? 30 seconds left. One of the guys. Rory? Is number three. You need one more. Okay. And um, right, Web Simpson right, right now? Web Simpson? Yes, Web Simpson. Right. There we go. There we go. Got it. Three and a half. Who's We're number one? Done. John Rahm. John Rahm is number one right now? He yeah. hasn't done anything since golf has come back. <laughs> he what? won the uh, Memorial. Oh, that's right. Wait, he did. What am I saying? Yeah. I mean, that was it. He that won the it. Memorial. Him and JT have kind of flip-flopped the past, like, month. One's one, one's two. So Rob uh, was one, Thomas was two, Rory was three, DJ was four, Morikawa five, Webb six, Kepka seven, Bryson eight. You got the top eight. 
Nine and ten were Reed, Patrick Reed, and Xander Shoffley. Xander Shoffley crossed my mind. I wasn't sure if he was there, though. Because another one, like, like I was thinking with Day, where been doing well, hasn't won, might not be in the rankings because of that. So, all right, we're back. Well, with I didn't know if seven was going to be too many. It was, I was I'll tell you what, when you, said, when, when you said seven, I was like, Jesus Christ, can I have, can I have 180 seconds instead of 90? Yeah. Like, no, that was good. All right. All right. We're back. Well done. I feel bad. Like I, I, you know, for the, for now after this is your own fault because you painted yourself as more of a fan of the show, but that was the first time that after asking a question, I felt bad because I thought you, <laughs> I thought you were more of a fan of the show where you would have at least remembered some of the teams. Um, yeah. Uh, My, hey, yeah. Only, only the last year. three years. I'm not a card knock, but it's you're all right. Well done year. getting your question right. Thanks again to Steve Sands for coming on. It was a lot of fun talking to him. We got uh, – should we tell everybody who we got coming on next week or we'll leave it as a surprise? Uh, we could tell people now. See, we try to be coy about it because, because sometimes, we, you know, we, we have the agreement with the guest and, you know, you, you know we, we don't necessarily want to commit to it in case anything falls through. But we have these next two guests banked and ready to go. Thank you. Uh, so we'll so, only say next week's. So, yeah. you know, keep them waiting for the one and two weeks. But next yes. week, we got Matt Turner, goalkeeper of the New England Revolution. Yes. A lot of fun talking to him. Did, you went to high school with him. or he was so I didn't go to high we'll – talk, we'll touch on it more next week when we have him. I didn't go to high school with him, uh, but we, we did overlap. He graduated the fall before oh, – I'm sorry, the, the summer before I got there in the fall, but he always came back during the summer – to get extra reps in. So it should be no surprise that he is where he is now. Always gotcha. putting in that work. So, I so yeah, we talked to him about, you know, what the life was like in the bubble. Obviously, the MLS is starting their season up. So a lot of fun talking to him. Got that forward to look to next week. And we'll see you then for episode 14.